0: Hello, hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 27 of Little Things for Bonsai People. And this time I am joined by my co-hosts, Mike Lane of Kitsune Bonsai. How's it going, Mike? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, And also Carmen Leskoviansky. I'm nailing her last name every time now. How's it going, Carmen?
1: (laughs) Very good. I'm very proud of you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone's proud of me. That's what mom says. And, uh, and we're very special guests today. We're excited to have Michael Hagedorn on the podcast. How's it going, Michael? Hey, great. Great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, today, we'll be talking to Michael and uh, talking about bonsai, going everything, anything that he does with bonsai, uh, collaborative po- collaborative projects, and um, other things that he's done with the local bonsai community up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I'm sure there's plenty and plenty to talk about. Uh, But before we get started with that, do you need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons over at Patreon.com. You can go to Patreon.com forward slash little things for Boneside people and become a Boneside best bud. Our best buds are Tori Solis, Warehouse Rats, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Glearando, that guy's name, um, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, the ladies at the flower market, uh, Taylor Peacock, and our newest Bonsai Best Bud, and a good friend of mine, Chase Pertweet. Thanks for, become, for becoming a Bonsai Best Bud. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can also head over to our online handles. You can go to Instagram and Facebook for our various uh, our various uh, pages that we have. For Michael, you can go check out uh, Katsune Bonsai mm-hmm. on uh, Instagram. You can go check out the website, KatsuneBonsai.com. For Carmen, she is one of the co-founders of the Purple Pot Society, the women's national bonsai club. Go over to bonsai. Go over to purplepotsociety.org to check that out. Uh, it's $35 for the year to become a member. It's an amazing amount of content for what, what that's worth. Um, also, go check out Becoming Bonsai on Instagram. But if all you can do is listen, that's fine. Go over and subscribe on your uh, favorite listening platform. Really helps out the algorithm. And, uh, and I always got to mention our amazing editor, Matt. Go check out mattodonnell.com go see Matt's stuff, go see his portfolio. Uh, he he edits our podcast and makes us sound smart, makes us sound crisp. Uh, he helps edit some out, out, some of the stutters and some of the things that I have a problem with here, apparently, but I get through it and Matt Matt uh, makes the editing process really easy. So if you wanna go to his website, mattodonadel.com, there's a contact form there and uh, he can reach out with to you and uh, work on your project with you when it comes to podcasts or music. So how's it going, Michael? hey hi there
2: yep i'm doing doing welcome
0: to the podcast Um, thank you (laughs) yep so how are things going in your part of the world oh golly um
2: well we were discussing just a little earlier that usually april is kind of a downtime for us where we get to catch our breath a little bit and take a look at one another but (laughs) for some reason this has been a really busy april and we've um uh not quite had that pause. <laughs> it's also been a really late year. Um I remember the the flowering plums were almost a month late um coming out in downtown Portland. It just was unbelievable. And I think the Azaleas, the Sotskis are, are gonna be really, really uh, on pause for, for quite a while. Um so uh we had a really rainy year and this is our first week of sun i think we're going to hit 85 this weekend um so we're kind of excited about that
3: (laughs) now is it just the the sun that kind of triggers everything to come out of dormancy or is it also kind of the the amount of light that they're getting or Uh,
2: i don't think it's quite so much light but it's temperature the temperature temperature just seems to yeah it really seems to make things move especially um some of the really cautious plants you know that that um that break bud really late, like beech. Uh, beach, you know, which is kind of a forest tree, but it's also kind of not necessarily high elevation, but but higher in and um, um in your uh your your, your zone. Uh, <laughs> so it comes yeah. from a more northern uh territory. And, and those are those tend to be kind of cautious plants because they can have late frosted things. It's almost like mountainous plants are very cautious, so they break bud late, and it's Definitely the last plant that we get to to break bud um, in my garden, at any rate. Um, so we, we still haven't repotted. This is like late April. We still haven't repotted in Portland, Oregon. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> next week is looking good for the beach.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think we're about ready. <laughs> and what are what are some of the dangers of repotting something too early? Slaughtering, uh, slaughtering. No, yeah, you, yeah.
2: you 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 can set them back a little bit uh, for sure Um, uh, deciduous trees do have a bit of a range. I mean, everything does. And and, and it's uh, it's really dependent upon your aftercare. If you've got a greenhouse, you can do a lot of things. Um, You're keeping those plants away from too much rain. You're increasing the ambient temperature by even five degrees. If it's cloudy out, it's still going to be five degrees warmer in there, if not more. And And that, even if you don't have like root pads and things, that's just going to spur your your root growth. Uh, mm-hmm. so um, so really you know the temperature is really a big one. <laughs> yeah, 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 for them. Um, but um, how about you guys? I heard the rest of the country was kind of early. It was kind of kind of hot. Is that right? Were you guys pretty early?
3: Yeah I see Evan nodding his head. Is that right? Yeah we were we were definitely early. i was uh, I was putting graphs on things in February. You know, like tropicals. I mean, so yeah. Okay, yeah, we were starting pretty early this year. Yeah, wow. I would
0: say uh, February was yeah. basically the ending of my repotting because I started repotting in uh, in early January, just to make up all the time, all the last time. Um, wow. And then by the end of February, I had first flush hardening off, and I just trimmed back and I'm, Wow, we're, we're start. We got a weird <laughs> oh cool gosh. season. Out of nowhere, it cooled off, and then everything just stopped suddenly. Yeah. And now yeah. we're, we're starting to kick back up. We're starting to be kind of more on par with what I expect. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, heat is the gas
2: pedal.
4: Yeah.
2: yeah. We, we think it's, you know, fertilizer, and to some degree it is, or a lot of water, and to some degree it is. But it's really heat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes all these processes work faster. Would you say it's a uh, root temperature?
0: That encourages more growth. That's something I've heard.
2: Maybe, maybe, maybe root, yeah. <clears throat> but you know, if you notice, um, even in in areas where you're, uh, uh, where you're a bit cooler generally, you know, some of the northern forests or whatnot, when you have those hot, those warm days, the, the plants will will, will move. Uh, the sap really begins to flow. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, of course, we have both an advantage and a disadvantage of being a bonsai pot. It's, that, um, it's uh, uh, the plant is much more susceptible to root temperature. Um, yeah,
1: Evan, when you mentioned that you had already cut back your first flush, I was last week and you said that I was like completely yeah. blown away. Like we barely have leaves on the maples still. Like,
0: <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm already to like pinching out maples right now, oh, trying to get God. them to slow down. Um, and my Japanese black pine extensions are are starting to they're not really getting to the point where the candles are starting to really come out. But I mean, the new growth is there. And uh, and our jap And I don't know how it is down in Florida for you, Mike, but our Japanese black pines, they get like double grow season here.
3: Oh, yeah. No, they I know. And they grow like crazy. So I've already got candles on on like all, all the healthy pines I had, you know, the ones that were a little unhealthy, took a little longer. But they're starting to push candles now, too and uh already you know and so it's uh it's they're gonna get pretty long if i wait until you know the end of the summer to trim them off yeah we're just gonna ride it out
0: it's a learning curve with japanese black planet's these warmer climates well we
3: don't get our first frost until january you know and so it's really really tricky to time uh Mm -hmm. six weeks before that and uh you can't really go with the end of summer anymore so I've toyed with doing it in like November and stuff like that and had pretty good success.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Depth is plant black plants are just weird here. I wish I did have more consistent uh temperatures like like Pacific Northwest has, honestly. Because I then still, I, I love have... I still love growing them though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and I've been messing around with the with the local lob lollies. I know you'll have the slash down where you're at, Mike yeah um but i saw an amazing loblolly at uh at andrew's collection um, yeah and we have we have them everywhere here and yeah and that came from telperian farms yeah so
2: yeah the decandling is doing is is really pretty interesting it's it's another one that we can flag as a really solid plant to decandle the loblolly pine um, really uh, in, in our area he's i think he's just doing a, a single decandling but i think he does it a little later it's mm. almost like Japanese red pine, which is, in Japan, it's often considered stronger than the Japanese black pine. They decandle it you know, a week later or something like that, just to shorten
0: the growing season a bit more. Um, and the loblolly is just so strong. <laughs> yeah, and the candles look weird on it. They're like skinnier and longer.
3: Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, a funny not- one. I'm not too good with pines michael um and i have read like con- some conflicting things. Is it like normal to decandle once at the beginning of the season and once at the end of the season?
2: uh no, that's not normal Uh okay. but but you know whatever's normal depends upon where you live, so if, sure you know, you're you're gonna you know if you have a black pine in Puerto Rico or you know maybe even where you live yeah you can you can decandle them and. You know, a couple times in twelve months, uh, but Just like that. I, I think you know that that the terms are often a little screwy, and sometimes you know one of us thinking one thing, another thing is thinking another. And decandling, I mean, it's it's generally reserved for cutting off a new shoot that's growing, okay. uh, and some people will use that term to talk about um, thinning the number of shoots that have hardened off in the fall. Um,
3: so we can get into trouble. <laughs> I see that and I think that's been some of the confusion because when I when I get away from the semantics of it and I just grow it like how I grow bonsai, it seems to work out okay. I seem to prune it accordingly. Uh, but when I get, once I don't know linguistics, you know, they're, they're not, they're not too tuned to that. <laughs> exactly. But when I start trying to get into the, like, what is what do they mean by candling? And yeah. And, you know, getting the different advice is, has been tricky. So I've just been reverting back to what I know.
2: Yeah, yeah good. But the but black, black pine is, is, uh... <laughs> Uh, many different ways of handling the same subject and, and they yeah. all can work. Um, sure. um, we can argue, you know, till the end of, end of the summer, <laughs> um, you know, about which ones are better than others, but, you know, uh, taking a system and doing everything sort of to the letter, according to that system is a really powerful way to do anything. If, if you mix and match according to what you've learned here and there, it right. might not work, but if you know the masters in Japan are doing things slightly differently and they have reasons for it, but the, if you know if you do A, B, and C, but then don't do D and E, you know, <laughs> or, or whatnot, or you mix all these things up a little bit, you you're probably going to have different results and maybe not as good results. But um, but Black Pine is is such a strong tree, um, that it um, um it can be handled in in several different ways. Um, yeah, I think that I don't know if this is. I've often thought that the, the sort of the, the lower the energy of the tree, the less options we have. And mm-hmm. the stronger the energy of the tree, the more you're going to find techniques, techniques be a little bit various um, and your options uh, expanding a little bit.
0: So. Uh, so, yeah, Michael, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, collaborative pro- projects that you've been doing uh, that we've we actually you put one into show recently, the um, the expo. You put that armature Oh, uh, right, right. Into the show. So tell us about that and some of the other stuff you've been doing. Sure, yeah. Uh,
2: how, how about I start with a little bit of a backstory? Um, oh, yeah, of course. So um, so I was uh, trained, in quotation marks, <laughs> I was trained to be an artist uh, in college and graduate school. And that was really a solar endeavor. We didn't really do work uh, in teams. Um, it wasn't like... Um, you know, city art where you're installing something or, you know, that usually involves a lot of people, but, um, uh, it was really, you know, private, uh, sort of work, solo endeavor. Um, and when I came to work in the studio, when I got back from Japan, um, the work that I did in the seasonal classes, um, was initially, I think I only did this for like a year was initially just working on trees that, that were bonsai that you would claim to be, you know, very obviously bonsai <laughs> in the, in the frame of bonsai. And, and I quickly realized that I had, you know, four or five people there who had rare skills and, and we could, we could tackle projects that were complex and beyond my own ability. Um, um, not in terms of what you might do with a bonsai, but what you might do that wasn't a bonsai. So what, in other words, uh, what I was really starting to play with in those early years, which would be 2008, 2009, um, 2010, uh, was we're, we're starting to, to work on presentations that were different. So the bonsai, how I worked on the tree was, was still very Japanese really, um, Uh, and yet how I presented it was, was something that was a bit more personal. Um, and it was a struggle for me, actually, this, um, uh, working with multiple people trying to organize how people would play roles and, uh, would, uh, serve the need of the project with, you know, the skills that they had uh, that I didn't have. And it was a bit more like a conductor and I wasn't used to being a conductor. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't my background. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, it was, uh, there were, Years of adjustment, really. And I was kind of glad that some of those classes were a little bit small so I could kind of figure out. And they were filled with friends, too. So you know, <laughs> it gave me a little bit of a break. But eventually, mm-hmm. I really started to enjoy it. Started, I don't know, this is probably starting in 2015 or something like that, 2013, when uh, Bobby Kurt Wright came in as my first apprentice. So I started to work with some interesting projects. Of course, he and I were doing some things, just the two of us. Um, but then, um, um, I started to realize really the strengths of the collaborative process and that you can, you can throw out ideas. The conductor throws out an idea and, and the band members will, will mirror back a sol- solutions. And once that I, I would have never come to on my own. And so it became, a, it's a real tensile strength. Uh, it's almost like tempering an idea. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think that, uh, I know that, um, we created things that were far better than I could have ever done by myself. And the shore pine that you just mentioned that was in an expo, I think is a great example of that. I, uh, talked with, uh, my friend, Eric, uh, who welded that, that stand. Um, he's an architect and he loves to weld. (laughs) He's a very creative guy. (laughs) I think, uh. Well, many things made me think he was just kind of a, a rare being. But uh, but one of them was, uh, was the day he said, uh, I, I want to build a car. And I was like, excuse me? He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I want to build a car, like from scratch. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. It was just, just really just out of the box kind of guy. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I had this, you know, we went outside and I said, this is a pine that I'd like to put on some kind of a stand uh, that, would be shown in a indoor space Uh, at the time it was hanging off of our shade cloth structure. We had bolted it onto a piece of metal there, Mm. um, and, uh, onto an upright. And, uh, and I wanted to put it onto something that would, um, present the tree to show a bit of precariousness. And so how I wanted to do that was with kind of a cantilever. Uh, so with a counterweight, Hmm. So for those of you who know this piece, um, it has um, it has this kind of scale-like um, um, metal bars that connect together that hold this tree in space far away from the base. And the base is actually 50 or 60 pounds. It doesn't look it, but it's really, really heavy. Very heavy. Hmm. Um, you'll be aware of it when you attempt to pick it up.
4: <laughs>
2: um, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I had no idea how to do this, um, and so I just sort of sketched it in the air and said, "What do you think?" <laughs> and then we began this process of, "Okay, great, uh, let's let's play." Um, so. So, you know, we did, we did little cardboard mock-ups and it's like, this looks good. this looks, And it was just sort of this banter. And uh, he went home and said, yeah, we'll probably go through one or two renditions of this before we get something that work. And it was number two was great. Hmm. First one we did had, I mean, first we were working with sort of a helix idea. Um, unfortunately that made the metal bend too much. So the tree bent this thing over. So that didn't work. So we had to have something that was in line with, with the weight, you know, so that it wouldn't, so it was stiff. And so anyway, we, Learned some pretty good lessons on the first time. that huh. maybe your structural engineer would have figured out the first time, but <laughs> 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 um, it, was, uh, it was an awful lot of fun. And then he came back for another project. We have a little juniper that also hangs off that shade cloth structure. Mm. And we're putting both of these trees into a, an exhibition I'm really looking forward to at the Pacific Bonsai Museum mm. up in Federal Way, Washington, uh, where Aaron Packard is the curator and who has continued since day one to put on some really thoughtful, kind of challenging shows. And this one is called Avant Garden. Um, so work that is a bit outside the box. And so he's invited several people uh, to put some trees in. I'll have uh, those two trees in there. And Eric uh, just finished, actually, he just bought it by the studio today, uh, kind of this looping stand that kind of bounces across the uh, tabletop and this sort of arcing um, thing. And I was attempting to, my, my thought, I mean, these are all abstractions, right? <laughs> but my thought of that uh, was this sort of, sort of timeline you know how a how a tree kind of goes up and down and it's in its life pattern um uh the idea behind the stand, the other stand for the pine was precariousness but also the, the scales that kind of uh, connect and hold the tree up um are abstractions of a pine cone scale oh that's cool um uh the other one has less of a you know an obvious sort of image but uh uh, so anyway, I'm excited about those. And this uh, collaborative approach continues to fuel me, feed me. Um, mm. um, almost more so than, than some uh, some of the crafting of the bonsai itself, the presentations. Is, uh, is, it seems to be limitless. That, uh,
3: yeah, it's almost bigger. You know, it's almost, uh, yeah, I could see that. That's
0: very cool. Yeah the, yeah the the shore pine itself is not what you would expect either it's got a two two egg paste egg you guess you can say like one coming off to the side and then one dropping down yeah. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. i found to be very unique uh mm-hmm. almost a litter double-headed literati in a way
2: yeah yeah that's a good way to put it yeah when i collected that tree i you know, I was just sort of in bonsai mode. And I thought, oh, I'll probably have to cut one of those off to make <laughs> that into a bonsai. And it, of course, it sat there for two years before I could do anything with it as it recovered its energy. It's sort of youthful vigor. And by that point, I was like, oh, man, I could never cut off one of those. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i got to right? find something to do with it. So it was actually, I mean, it was one of the trees that really made me rethink what it was I was purchasing in terms of, 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 um, raw stock um i'm far more interested in these just sort of wonky things that i have absolutely no idea what i would do with and then i spend a few years thinking about it um i'm much less afraid about taking that much time to think about what kind of a solution would both um fall into line with with harmony and in asymmetry but but Approaching that idea in a different way than maybe we traditionally do with bonsai. Um,
3: I think that's a that's a big part of kind of uh, more. I don't know. Once you've done bonsai for many years, I think that 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 true kind of state of true patience, I guess, comes in where I, I don't really think of myself as like uh, as waiting for things to happen. I, I enjoy the journey of just sitting and contemplating like you said, solving some of these problems and, you know, some of these trees now that I've been doing this as long as I have, I do sit on for like a year or so, maybe two, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really kind of think about what I'm going to do with it before I make mm-hmm. any big critical changes. Yeah. And so yeah. I I usually tell people a lot that, you know, with demo culture, you see one like glimmer, one little snapshot of time, uh, when the reality is like I might put on two one or two pieces of wire and then walk mm-hmm. away and then come back mm-hmm. later and put on another two pieces of wire and mm-hmm. I'm really chipping away at the hole before I really
0: see maybe what I want to see. So mm-hmm. you get there. yeah yeah
4: yeah
0: I, re- I really enjoy seeing bonsai Moore's process art than like you said with the demo culture that that's where we're kind of come around to it at. Um, it makes a lot more enjoyable that way. and like you said, uh, we, all we have is time with these bonsai. I mean, that's, that's what we should be really putting into them to get, to get the effect of, of the older look that we're looking for. Just diff, a difficult tree, a uh, tree that is unpredictable, you know, so that's a really, yeah, that's an interesting point because time, you know, time mm-hmm. as a
2: medium, you know, something that you can kind of apply as a piece of clothing or something like that to a bonsai. Mm-hmm so how
1: um, does this oh
2: yeah. sorry go ahead michael i'm uh, just re- remembering a funny story regarding deciding what to do with the plant and in japan suzuki uh, had the film crew of kimball over there and we were filming something else at the time but he had this really famous white pine in there that many other famous people had worked on and they would all chose different fronts on it and so it was like a yeah, I had three or four possible fronts. It was really, really interesting. Good tree, and and uh, the uh, the head guy there at, at Kimball said, "So, so where's your front?" So he said, "I have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i I'd have been in the garden for some months, you know, but he's just yeah, not sure yet." <laughs> he was well, really honest about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Carmen, please. <laughs> That's a, a great segue,
1: actually, because I I'm curious as to how. Um, this technique differs or doesn't differ from how they approach trees in Japan. Is there are there often trees in the yard that have this long period of contemplation before anything is done with them? Um, and then, additionally, kind of part two of this question is um, the way some of the bonsai are approached here at Cortigas is very artistic it's outside of the box it's you know something a little bit different and um is that i feel like in japan bonsai is generally more you know a business so maybe they don't have the time to put in that kind of artistic
4: mm-hmm.
1: work yes. and so how does that differ too from from what we're doing here versus what's going on in japan is is there yeah. an artistic yeah. bench there at
2: all yeah Oh, there is. You can see even some of the pots that are that are coming out. You know, Gilson, for instance. You know, he's got this catalog oh, right. that he puts out, and I think it's—I don't know—it might even be mostly for foreigners. <laughs> I've often wondered. But yeah, you know, maybe Bob, Bobby has sold these. So they're, they're spectacular. Um, they're so cool. Very inventive and challenging pots, and almost caricatures. You know, they're really fun with these big fat lips, or you know, they just look like these uh, cartoons. Really, really, really fun. I had a conversation with Ryan Neal about that group of potters, you know, that would just sort of, uh, make a, uh, a cartoon of, of, of different features. And it just sort of almost like they're under a magnifying glass or something like that. And, uh, and it becomes something else when you do that, you know, The, the elements of the pot become sort of distorted and it's almost humorous. It's fun. Um, but to, I don't know, to, attempt to question i can't really speak for other gardens in japan but but as an overview you're absolutely right it, you know the business is, is there and it's there's a lot more selling uh there than in your your typical uh bonsai yard in the united states um where you know a bonsai professional here might make the majority of uh, their income um selling uh excuse me teaching um and uh uh, whereas over there, you know, one day a month, they might have, you know, their club meeting or something where a master helps some, some people, but they don't make it, you know, much of an income off of that. Um, so, uh, there's, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I have a, the ability to be a bit of a gadfly because I make my money different way. I don't need to sell what I create. Um, so I, I don't really care what the public thinks about what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's a freedom in that. I, um, I think I've said this on other podcasts, but um, my dad wasn't an academic and I, um, there's, there's certain freedoms in, in being able to be a, a sort of a gadfly and saying what you really think um, and, and not, um, you know, fearing being fired for it or something like that. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a little different private sector versus, uh, versus academia. Um, mm-hmm. so in a sense, I, you know, I saw that when I was a kid, when I was, I was sort of watching, uh, what was going on with my dad and my colleagues and I kind of like that. And I, 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 have tried to kind of steer my, my business so that I'm, you know, client work is a chunk, but teaching is, is, is a big chunk as well. And that gives me a certain freedom wow. to creatively do things, whatever. Uh, whatever I feel led to do um, I had another Carmen help me. Who, who were we talking with? The, the, uh, the folks from Ohio, there was another podcast. I talked more on that oh, podcast um, about this. Oh
1: my gosh. Uh, the Bonsai time podcast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bonsai time. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. a, uh, if anybody's interested in this conversation, there's another conversation out there that was uh, related. I, I enjoyed that one as well. Um, Um, these are these are really interesting things to talk about (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) yeah um yeah thank you for raising this as our kind of (laughs) centerpiece to talk about uh, when i go to work with a client i'm mostly working within the japanese tradition Uh, almost everything is uh um falls within that frame. And, uh, and I love that. I mean, it's a touchstone and I love working on projects that my clients are curious about. Um, actually, um, they're, uh, also awesome. many of them are interested in, in, uh, in working on some young trees too, and, and, uh, working them toward a certain vision. And that's a lot of fun. And they're often species that I wouldn't, uh or don't have in my own yard, so there's there's a educational value to that as well. It's kind of fun, um, but uh, so there's a difference too. So what you know, what I do outside of my own garden is is uh, is up to the client, really. I'm trying to serve the client. Um, um,
0: yeah. So the more the future of your collection will be moved towards these creative projects, you see. That's kind of what you're going to aim to do more of. I, I think they,
2: I mean, none of them have left the yard. I don't really sell them or ha- haven't yet. I mean, eventually I'm sure we'll do something like that. But they, um, so they keep building. The percentage keeps building because, <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's no outlet from the pond, hmm. so to speak. Um, I think
1: we're going to perfect the cantilever.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. <All> right.
4: Yeah,
1: <laughs> there's all been right. a significant cantilevering the last couple of years, so it'll be it's fun to see all the different kind of iterations of the different few. angles and things. Yeah, there's a few. I think
2: the first one was a vine maple that some mm-hmm. people call a what was it, the moose or the boot or something like that it has a ah, nickname. Yes, the but moose. you can mm-hmm. go to my blog and Google this thing. But it's uh it's also a cantilever. There's uh on the mm-hmm. foot part of it. Uh, I don't know where the boot is but anyway the part that touches the ground there's a big rock there that is covered in moss you can't really see it but that's the that's the counterweight for that crazy uh (laughs) construction and i think that was back in the bobby era that was a long time ago Mm -hmm. uh but these have been fun projects because I had to figure out how to, on these strange slab, you know, that were on funny angles in one flat. was I going to use soil? What was I going to use as a medium? Because there was no way. I didn't really want to use muck. I've had varying success with muck. Um, conifers seem to like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I wasn't really sure about the uh, about the deciduous trees. So I just sort of made a guess. I used almost no soil at all. In uh, some of these projects, I use 100% sphagnum moss for the maples. These are hmm. vine maples, so this is a Northwest native, and they loved it. They, they just grow like yeah. weeds in it. Um, I was a little surprised, really, but you know, I read up on sphagnum moss, and you know, as far as rotted sphagnum moss, that that could be you know a lifetime before it begins to rot. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's pretty unique stuff, um, and you know, any kind of slabby kind of thing, and then drainage, drainage. I mean, if it's sort of at an angle, the drainage is just superb. Um, yeah, it's really really good. So high water holding content, but good drainage. I mean, that that was sort of a a good good mix. Whereas I, I think in our summers, if I was to use the volcanic mixes that I uh, that I prefer to use in a pot, I think it would get too dry, and so we'd we'd end up having to... Carmen would be far too busy.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: more watering more than watering.
0: I. do. exactly. Know. exactly. More water. Right. So <laughs> all these most well most of the suspended pieces. You're using less and less soil, and you're finding with the the sphagnum moss. Will it will it grow like new uh, sphagnum and then replace uh, and recycle?
2: So funny you should mention that there was a there was a pot where we had had graded up our sphagnum moss and put it on top. We had some live sphagnum start. I think it's the only time I've ever seen that happen. Doing hmm. um, <laughs> very well. Yeah, yeah, oh, is it? Okay. I need to I, transplant I it. I looked at it. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Yeah, we'll grow our own sphagnum. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Can strip mine our own yard. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Put it in the back pond there <laughs> with the ducks.
2: That's right.
3: <laughs> That's cool. So, Michael, can I ask you something um, that I personally yeah. wanted to know? Was I read something in a BCI article about a recent trip? Not recent. I think like a year or two ago where you took a trip to Taiwan.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, two thousand seventeen maybe. I think uh there was a Okay, yeah. So that was more than two years big ago. Big convention. It was kind of this compilation of uh clubs and convention. yeah, into one convention. It was a huge thing.
3: A big yeah. international thing. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. That's something that's, those are trees that I take a lot of inspiration from and, you know, tend to emulate a lot of. And, uh, I remember reading really that section of that. Yeah. That's what I thought, what I had heard you say. Um, yeah. What was your impression of those trees? I was amazed. Yeah. It was just, I never seen anything like it.
2: <laughs> Not, I mean, it seemed, you know, like stamps, you know, out of the Philippines or something. You see this ball that's like, what, what is that thing? You know? Yeah. Means, they're pimpfists or they're you know, the, the, the hibiscus that they work with, or are you know, just crazy, crazy plants. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, ficus and all of these things are like defoliated. And so if you see a small thing of it and you, or a small image of it, and you don't really know what you're looking at, like, what is that? Right. <laughs> but in person, they're just crazy. And, and they start from nothing and in 30 years they have this massive plant that's Incredibly ramified, and I mean, it's almost like Satsuki's. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's, it's almost sort of easy in a way, you know, right? You can just really work it, and they can get exactly what they want. It's just right. a high humidity, you know, uh, and uh, and growing really fast growing species. I mean, they can grow something from a cutting down there in Taiwan that they could never do in Japan, you know, it's just you know, you, you could make a huge, you know, plant with a 10 inch trunk in the same amount of time that she could grow a shohin. Right. (laughs) Um, so so it's really impressive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I, I was sad that I didn't really have time to go on any of the, um, the tours. They had some tours and nurseries and whatnot, but I was kind of tied up with things around the convention I wasn't actually feeling very well that week, so I spent some time just resting. So, but anyway, I, I at the time even I was just regretting not being able to run around and 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 see more. I would love to go back. It's, uh, it's such a it was a neat place too. In fact, wa- wandering around the cities reminded me of Japan. Really, yeah, um, everything just sort of felt the same. It was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's of course, cool. you know that was one of the occupied territories. You know, right. Yeah, for about World fifty years. Yeah, yeah, right.
3: Yeah, so some of that makes sense. Yeah, That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Michael.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. I, as a side note, um, Tachi uh, uh, told me, he was there actually. He was, he was at the convention. It was a great uh, reunion. I hadn't seen him for some years. And he said that uh, the relationship with the Taiwanese is very different uh, than their relationship, the Japanese relationship with the Korean. Really, um, people. Yeah, yeah. The Taiwanese feel almost like brothers, according to uh,
4: yeah.
2: So they have a very different. Um, I I I don't understand how that all was
0: handled differently, but it, it has a bit of a different feeling, at least for the Japanese. Yeah. Um, yeah. For our listeners, uh, tell them who Tachi is. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Tachi was my senpai.
2: Uh, or, uh, working superior. He was an apprentice who came in a little bit earlier than I did. So that means I had to do everything he said. <laughs> and, uh, he was, uh, I think he was 19 when he, uh, arrived and, uh, I got there a few months after him, uh, at Suzuki's place in Japan and, uh, the Nagano region in Japan. Um, and, uh, he was a neat kid. I really enjoyed Tachi. It was, uh, it was good to have an ally because, uh, when you, especially when you're a foreigner, you need allies. <laughs> um, you don't get a lot of help <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> um, so that was Tachi. So he was my brother.
0: <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you know what he's doing now? I mean, I haven't really.
2: Oh yeah. 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 He's uh, he's a busy guy. Um, his, his father had a, um, uh, had his hand in bonsai. He had an antique pot store for a long time. He made. Uh, he was the guy who made the calendars in Japan. Hmm. Um, had a rooftop garden. So when Tachi uh, escaped from his apprenticeship <laughs> and graduated, he went back to Tokyo um, and uh, did a um, uh, sort of a uh, multi generational <laughs> garden uh, there on a rooftop. <laughs> So, so he works with clients, and yeah, yeah. Well, has a family, uh, two, three kids. I can't remember. I think it might be three.
4: Mm. Yeah.
2: City boy, <laughs> city boy. I think he enjoyed the country, uh, but it was very new for him. Uh, we were in a tiny village of uh, ten thousand agricultural area,
3: uh, and that was in Taiwan, or oh no, sorry, this is Japan. Oh, Japan, sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah, we were both at the same convention in Taiwan.
3: Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Sorry, he yeah. was also invited to present there, so that yeah, was very great. cool. Yeah. Carmen oh, took off on us. Oh, did she? Yeah.
0: <laughs> she must have stepped away can, for a moment. We could take <laughs> <That's> a break. <laughs> oh no, no, we're uh we're coming towards the end. Uh, we do have one listener question that I decided would be. Oh a Decent, uh, little thing to throw in. Uh, it does also kind of pertain to Carmen as well, but I'm sure uh, you can kind of oh. elaborate on it too. Um, but it, uh, they were, I had a listener, uh, Justin Knight, one of our Boneside Best Buds, who's asking about grafting azaleas. Uh, he was, he was oh. asking about uh, seeing different varieties of azaleas oh. that have different flower colors. Um, and oh. but haven't seen any weaker varieties grafted to robust more robust stock so he's kind of wondering about the ins and outs of uh, azalea grafting that's possible
2: gosh i I wish i could uh offer something there i have done no azalea grafting yeah um i would imagine i don't really know but it, it has a cambium layer like a um even thinner than a juniper and a th- juniper real thin. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think your, your technique would have to be right on the nose. Um, but I, I really don't know. Carmen, do you know of I've, uh, I've, I've grafting uh, azaleas?
1: You know, I don't, um, but I feel like I've heard that people have done it, but I don't, I don't know that they have, like, I have never done it Um And I don't know that it's necessarily a real common thing to do because they're so easy to grow and get, you know, different varieties and different Mm. colors. So um, I wonder if a thread graft might be a good option if you were going to graft an azalea though, because, you know, they grow such strong runners essentially. And it might be easier than trying to do like a a veneer graft or something. Yeah, I'm not really sure about that.
0: I feel like a thread graft would be just that much more challenging because of how brittle they can be
1: yeah I mean, maybe. especially
0: if you're trying to fish that through the hole and you're you're one oh, trying yeah, not to pop the buds that. i think and then, you just
4: <laughs> yeah yeah i that's
3: think a big you bud. just you just scion graft it and cut it back hard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i would that.
1: like to like get an azalea trunk like a real nice one and then put all the different colors that i like have in my collection on that mm-hmm. one trunk just like for funsies
0: just to see what how oh, it. I'll, I'll try it and let you guys know
1: how it goes
0: oh god <laughs> <laughs> but, but I that just extend my,
1: my graduation time again i have to stay longer uh, now I'm, that's not I'm, acceptable I'm adding
0: <laughs> <laughs> another four
1: years before i can leave <sighs>
0: oh. uh.
1: mm. i think we added oh. i think that that makes it an eight extra years this just this week i've added so Oh no! It's all right. It looks like it could
3: be worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's <is> true. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh boy.
0: But I, I think I've seen azaleas with different colors on them. I mean, I, I'm they, bad they do. Some of them azaleas. just do it
1: naturally. Like some of them have a, a white and a pink on them, or a you yeah. know an orangey, you know. So
0: I think that's probably Whether- where the question's coming from. He's probably confused as to why he's seeing those different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, but. For Louisiana, because this is where I know Justin personally. He's here with me. He's actually in my hometown, and we struggle to grow azaleas here, especially Satsuki's. They don't just don't they don't grow as robust and as strong as you guys mm. probably could get them. And Mike, I haven't seen many azaleas where you're at either. I mean, it, no, it, they
3: they they grow here. Some people grow them, but uh, mm. I don't know, not well, in my opinion. Mm.
1: Is no. it the lack of of the dormant period? Is that the, the issue?
3: I'm not sure what it is. Whether whether it's too humid or fungus issues. I don't know. The reality is this, is usually in Florida, if there's, if the maintenance routine is too much, like if we have to spray it with too many fungicides and we have to like keep up with too many maintenance issues like that, most people will give up on it.
1: Ah, okay. And
3: so, so will they do well in Florida? Yes, I think they will if you really are up on your game and you really are taking care of them to the best of your abilities. Um, but I don't think they suffer neglect very well here. Right.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. You know, in a, in, a, in a zone where they're just happier, they suffer neglect better. I mean, it's yeah. a horrible thing to say, but, you know, they, they, they're going to take, you know,
3: two hits rather than one before they tumble off, you know, right. to Neverland. Yeah. Yeah. Because yes, I, I mean, I grow a lot of things that are well outside my zone, but they're, you know, very, very, it's a tenuous thing at all times,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I think about a lot that I read from your book, uh, Michael, uh, Boneside heresy, uh, is your yeah. root death, your root death temperature. Mm. Uh, that mm. that that section really really rang home for me, and I applied a lot of that mm. to some of the stuff that I do with my bonsai down here because of the varying temperatures. Um, and we had talked earlier about root temperature activating the growth in the in the springtime. Uh, I mean, maybe that could be a contributing factor to azaleas and other species here, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just me kind of throwing, you know, <laughs> shot in the well, dark. I really don't know about, about azaleas. I, I would think, you know,
2: somewhere up in elevation slightly in Georgia it would be almost like... Mm-hmm. You know, ideal. Uh, they do like the humidity, but yeah, um, they they do grow pretty well here in Oregon. Um, that's true too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Puris, uh, rhododendron, things like that grow really, really well here. Um, it's you know, it's a funny, funny thing. We were talking about Gary Wood earlier, and he said there's there's some magic around the uh, 45th parallel maritime. There's something about that that just produces this crazy sort of growth. It's got, you know, the day length is implied along with temperature at a certain time of year. And and then you got, and then you need your zone. You know, you gotta, if it's a desert, yeah, you're going to fight a little bit, but if you've got the Willamette Valley, which is 45th parallel, I mean, you drive down I-5, you cross 45th parallel, uh in the willamette valley and there's just nurseries everywhere here and i asked joe harris once if there was another place you know or where other places were and he said mm, there's one in italy that's <laughs> 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 what he said yeah somewhere in northern italy i thought or something like that he said but anyway that was interesting um, i think because-
1: yeah the mild it- winters it- and the perpetualness of the spring and the fall essentially i mean we've had daffodils blooming yes. for three months like it's just it's perpetual. Yeah.
2: so i think that
1: definitely has something to do with how things just just grow
2: yeah in the fall the fall root growth can be as strong as the spring root growth it's Mm -hmm. really uh and it's a long fall here um so yeah this is just it's a long long growing season and and it has i don't know the bell curve is just different yeah the tail ends are just gone and on and on Uh, so you, you get a lot of growth that you might not see but it but it helps establish a plant or bulk it up or yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah That's um but we can't do citrus <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I see some see olive trees struggling citrus struggling. at the nurseries yeah, yeah they're not yeah, happy yeah. no <laughs> and there's some like hardy olives that sort of work here um but nothing like what you'd find in california
0: what about Arizona. um Silverberry, with that's within the olive family, I believe, right?
2: I think you're right.
0: Elagnus, yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I, I think they're related. Yeah. Um, golly, I, I think I think Andrew has one right now. I was going to
1: say I think Andrew has a he's, few of them.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I know he's he's in his first year or two with them, so I don't.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's hard to tell, you know, how things do uh, after until you get five years in. Right. Um, but last time I was there, it was he had cut it back pretty hard, and it was really coming back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we're uh, approaching the end of the show here. We uh we usually, I mean, because of this podcast is more set up to be more educational, uh, for beginners all the way to a little bit more advanced. We always do our bonsai word of the week Um, uh what's our word this week our word this week uh is let's see if i don't butcher this word um tokenoma is that because i know i know michael you're 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 good with japanese right well i used to be (laughs) (laughs) how close was i (laughs) it's very good Oh, oh good good yeah so so uh a a tokonoma is a traditional Japanese style of display that would be in an area within your home. It doesn't have to necessarily be inside, though. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and usually yeah. we pass the uh, the word around the table and kind of talk about it a little bit. But uh, from my experience, because uh, we were we actually wow. went and visited Bobby uh, Cutright, oh, yeah, and uh, he had one in his in his his formal uh, living room space. Uh, it was beautifully yeah. done too. Um, yeah he has some unusual ones yeah
1: yeah his display is always really really interesting
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and for yeah. uh and they don't always have to be inside uh and have you seen different types of tokonomas, michael sure
2: yeah
0: sure so you know a great example is
2: a is a traditional tea house um which is it's like a partly outdoor kind of building there's usually some of opening outside outside portal Japanese garden has one and there's a Tokonoma on the inside. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a structure that may, may have a, you know, completely open space uh, to the outside, but the Tokonoma itself uh, usually has, you know, features chosen according to what, style of tokonoma that you wish for There the three main styles shin Gyoso. shin is a very powerful one tends to have black lacquered uh elements that are rectilinear um uh, that's sort of you know the frame or, or the the piece of wood across the front for instance in front of the tatami mats um and maybe some of the supports as well. And then, uh, so this is a very strong, uh, usually kind of large. And this is where you maybe put a big conifer or something like that. And gyo is, is maybe red lacquer. And, uh, and this, mm-hmm. is, uh, this is something where you put maybe a big deciduous tree. And so is a little more playful. It might have one of the uprights be an actual branch of a tree. Um, uh, or no support at all in that corner um and so it's more open uh, with just a simple little tatami mat and maybe might be a place you display a large kosumano perhaps a very playful space so mm. um people would just have one tend to
0: be somewhere in the
2: middle you know they might do a gyo kind of uh, tokonoma. tokenoma yeah
0: hmm. i'm gonna have to uh look it, I, I haven't heard that way of describing the different styles of them before that's actually yeah, pretty they're, awesome they're, they're um yeah really awesome and to give a little bit more context to listeners. It's uh, the tokonoma is more of an alcove. It could be inset into a wall or, like uh, Michael said, like a tea house. And normally, it has a do they most of the time they do have a a window or a light source that comes from the left. Is that the proper way, or does it come from other ways sometimes?
2: Uh, it can come from different different directions. Yeah, if, if you have multiple ones, yeah, in particular, uh, but light yeah i mean usually you've got some kind of electric light um in addition to this um this screen you know through rice paper um uh, where, you, where you get a bit of diffuse light mm-hmm. and um and then the height of the tokonoma is another thing to uh, to talk about if, if you're assuming a seated audience um then your tokenoma is like 30 centimeters off the ground if if uh uh, if you're standing and and appreciating, it's more like fifty centimeters.
4: Hmm.
0: So, you have it more of like your, and and where would a tokonoma be suitable in a household? Um, that's kind of something I'm always kind of been confused about.
2: Uh, I've seen it in a couple of different places, but in a traditional home, sometimes it's not far from the entry. Hmm. So that guests will, yeah, you know, it, it depends. You, you've got a, um, some uh, more formal areas or where we have a Tommy mat in front of it. Uh, and that can be you know four mats or six mats or something like that depending on how big a party of people you, you're expecting or your kind of uh, your tea service or whatever that you would offer somebody. I've I've seen them in like foyers of of traditional homes too. There's a little tokonoma to greet you know when you toss your shoes off. And I don't really know how traditional that is, but
0: that might be the only place it fits in a home. You
2: know. (laughs) Yeah. I see
0: it. And is it true if they're? I've 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 I think I read this a long while back um, that it's it's proper to have your guests if you're in a seated uh, area to have your guests back. To your tokonomo so it's not in their face the whole time Mm. and that you as the homeowner or the host have the view of it behind them as kind of more as a polite gesture Mm. um i don't know if you've heard that but i Mm -hmm. I had read that i haven't but that
2: makes sense (laughs) it's it's very japanese sensibility yeah it's the same as you know i don't know turning around the shoes you know to for your guests so that they can they don't have to turn around themselves in order to put their feet in oh, interesting
0: yeah. Yeah, i did not yeah. know that they'd go that far as well okay sure also <laughs> if you have like a
2: raised tatami mat area where you're going up to seats you know somebody will kick their slippers off and then the host turns those slippers around so that they can just step off into their shoes
0: that's that's nice. very traditional japanese courtesy amazingly cool. polite surprised that uh us uh, yeah. southern boys down here don't do stuff like that yeah, right 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 <laughs> <We're> too <laughs> right. late to start right No. Yep. I'm, I'm gonna start turning my guest shoes around and I have new like,
1: expectations when I'm like,
0: why are you touching my shoes they're <laughs> filthy <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's interesting but but yeah good, that, word. Uh, good word man <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's I always like to bring up the ones that are uh, I you know we could literally say the the word you know bonsai would be would would be a fun one to just go and just rattle on about but we've talked about that the whole time so I always look for the ones that are a little weird even ones that I don't know too much about because I mean it's fun to use these terms uh, to fill in the gaps and spaces of like like we were saying tradition uh, to understand where bonsai is coming from because uh, we need to see it through a different lens sometimes. Because of the way that Western culture or European culture or, or, uh, or, you know, whatever other cultures were seeing the lens through, it always comes back to the Japanese approach and the words, and the words have their own meaning. And there's then most of the time, there's only one word that represents that special thing in bonsai. from my experience. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, that's the option. We need
1: many words to translate it because we don't have that same concept. That's
0: that's where the I don't know comes from. It's like, oh well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you how do you translate that one that one kanji, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, could mean a dozen different things to us. But yeah, anyway. Uh <laughs> thanks for hanging out, Michael. It's it's been a lot of fun. Uh great. Like thanks like, for having me. Yeah, like picking your brain about uh, all the really awesome projects that you've been doing um and thank you you got involved in one that was fun yeah yeah i I wasn't maple wasn't gonna bring it up but yeah i was there we were joking about it earlier how i was uh
1: cantilever
0: i was the yeah was the supporting the supporting arms uh the the truly organic arms that were holding it at the angle um but (laughs) you know it's fun it's fun to know that i I helped out with that angle of that tree. A tree looks awesome. Uh that's one that we didn't really touch on too much. It is uh wasn't that one that was referred to as like the Kraken?
1: The Kraken, yes. Yeah. The Kraken.
2: Oh gosh. Who who gave it that moniker? I don't know. Definitely Uh-oh. wasn't me. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> it was me. I did it. I'm sorry.
3: Okay. <laughs> You're Whoa, in trouble. <laughs> Oh, oh gosh, you added man. more to your your time. Added there. more time, yeah. Oh, oh
1: god, 12 years.
3: Ah. <laughs> Inappropriate naming. Beep.
0: <laughs> Hilarious. I mean, it, if you look at the thing, it's it's nuts looking, man. It does look like it's it does look a like a ship arms. would fall into it. I mean, it because it's it's got all the yeah, like the the really long and that's and I remember asking you, I was like, how how long are you going to allow these these branches or these trunk lines, they're not really defined as either or, at how long are you going mm-hmm. to allow them to, to stay that long, you know, and you, you kind of gave me that roundabout que- like answer to it, <laughs> you know, so. We'll know
1: when we know. You're like, yeah, we
0: well, <laughs> <laughs> Right. There, there yeah. you know, there was, there's some things about that piece that are really awesome. That one's also, like we were saying earlier about like with the, the shoe or the boot, it, that one's also pure moss, right, that it's mm-hmm. planted in uh yes correct awesome. so yep. yep cool but yeah uh yep like i was saying i can't wait to see what else you brew up there's there's always awesome collaborations uh going on uh and i think this is where bonsai is kind of moving towards uh in the in western you know uh Size. so yeah thanks for hanging out and thanks uh mike and carmen for hanging out and and, yeah, uh, no, no problem. Talking boneside today.
1: Time.
0: Yeah, man. So we will we will uh catch up with our listeners. I'll see y'all in the next one. Cheers. All right,
3: bye. Bye.